This is Tell Your Story Podcast with Elian Kalerianov, and today I'm speaking with Will Reeve. So if you've been listening to this from the beginning, then you'll know that if you don't want to hear the bio, you can skip over to the next time you hear the music. And the other thing that I want to say before we begin is that most of these conversations I've recorded a couple months before and I sit on them and I wait and then I go back to them, edit them and post them and record this intro right before the episode actually airs. This particular episode is different in that I spoke with Will Reeve about a week ago and I thought because of the world in which we live and how every single time it seems that we turn on the news or even when we don't turn on the news because politics has made itself present in almost every conversation and it just feels, life feels heavy at times. And so I thought that this conversation with Will would be inspiring, maybe even feel like a big hug because that's the way that I felt when speaking with Will. I I first met Will four years ago maybe. I was still in the broadcast media world prior to really jumping into production and I had been working in New York City. He must have been at the time like 21, 22 years old and was just stepping into the world of broadcasting. He hadn't yet done the jobs that he's doing now, which he's kicking ass. He's so good at being a broadcaster. But I remember sitting there and kind of feeling like, oh, you know, this kid has such potential and such excitement and joy and wonderment. I almost was fearful that the the business was going to corrupt him in some way. Turns out now at 25, sure, not enough time has passed, but he still seems intact that that joyfulness, that kindness. It really is just this kindness that's tangible, palpable. And when we sat down to talk, it was clear right away that there's nothing that could change him because these things were instilled in him from childhood. Now, I personally did not register, did not think about his father in the way that many people do. His father, of course, is Christopher Reeve. And for many, he was Superman. I really only remember him as the story of hope And when I was doing my research, I I watched back on an interview that he did with Oprah. And I don't know, I I, myself in a space of where I'm in recovery, I watched him talk so beautifully while in his wheelchair and paralyzed. And there wasn't an inkling of sadness in his eyes. And I was kind of shocked and taken aback. And immediately after I watched that video, I started talking to Will. And I felt that same sensation of this hope as an elixir, which Will talks about in this podcast. I never looked at hope that way. I always thought hope was setting yourself up for devastation because expectations were not to be met. And the way that Will describes it is so, so needed in today's society. And he talks about believing that human beings are innately good. Another thing that I think we need to do a better job of practicing. So those are the pillars on which this stands, this conversation. There's so much more here. We talk about the definition of a modern male and whether or not he fits into that. We speak in depth about his flaws. We talk about his relationship with his father, Christopher, and his mother, Dana, and why the importance when it comes to parenting is not how much time you spend with your kids, but what you do in the time that, you, that you're with them. And we, of course, talk about his career and, and what he wants to do, but it's just really hopeful to see or hear a 25-year-old male have such a wide worldview and such empathy and understanding for others. And again, of course, he has his flaws. We all do. But his head is in the right place. And I just felt really inspired. And I thought that this conversation would be perfect for today because the last nine of the podcast episodes have been really dark and kind of um, difficult to process. This one is an inspirational one. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Here's my conversation with Will Reeve. One more thing before I forget, if you're listening to this conversation and something strikes you, something gets you excited, something gets you motivated, screen grab this on your phone, post it to your Instagram story, whether through my Alianka or Untitled Female, and I'll make sure to repost that, sharing is caring people. All right, here we go. The 
purpose of this podcast is tell your story. So it, it really is kind of an open canvas for each person to paint. But I always like to start with my own selfish kind of questioning and desire of where I want to lead this thing. And I think what would be nice, I suppose, is I feel that we as adults are shaped by our childhood and our upbringing. And so I'd love for you to kind of paint the picture of your life as a child and provide us context for your family dynamic then, and we'll kind of take it from there afterwards. Okay. I am the lucky, I consider myself every day the luckiest guy in the world for having grown up where I did, how I did, with whom. I've had every advantage in life afforded to me, and I never forget that, how lucky I am. But the specifics of those advantages and of the things that make me feel so lucky and grateful. I was born in Massachusetts in 1992 to Christopher and Dana Reeve, who had met in that same small town in Massachusetts five years prior. And I am their only child, but I have two half siblings who we share our dad, but there's no half in it. Like, I guess technically you'd call them half siblings, but we, they're my brother and my sister. Mm -hmm. And they grew up in London, but would come over to the States for holidays and summers and everything like that. And we're incredibly close still to this day. I grew up in Bedford, New York, right outside of New York City. And when I was three or almost three, excuse me, it was about 10 days before my third birthday, uh, my father, who was a major, uh, a majorly competitive horseback rider, was injured in a competition in Culpeper, Virginia, and was thrown from his horse, broke his neck, a uh, fairly well-known story. And luckily, we were in Virginia because the neurosurgeon, Dr. John Jane at the University of Virginia, is the man who saved my father's life, he basically attached my dad's head back to his body for lack of a better uh, description. And so my, my dad survived, but he was paralyzed. And that obviously changed the rest of my life um, because he and my mom were still relatively newly married. They had me, a young child, and we had to adapt to this new normal. And my mom had to put her career on hold and her uh, all of her hopes and dreams that she thought that she would get to achieve. Um, now she focused her entire life on, on taking care of my dad and being there for my dad. And that showed me the, the values um, of, you know, commitment, loyalty, love, courage, sacrifice, uh, and, and so many others. So growing up in Bedford, New York, I, I the reason I say I'm, I'm lucky is because my I come from a family where I have parents who loved each other and loved me. And I was afforded every opportunity in school. And Socially, I never felt ostracized or different, even though my dad was a well-known public figure who was also paralyzed. Those are two things that could be disadvantages to, to a kid, right? Trying to mm -hmm. make friends or just live a, a, a quote-unquote normal life. But I was lucky to have a group of friends and family and support system that never made me feel any different. And my parents did everything they possibly could to make me have the most normal childhood as possible. Of course, some of the things that are afforded to people who are in the public eye, who are well-known, are experiences that, that not everyone gets to have, but I was always made to feel very lucky by my parents. They would reinforce the fact that I, like every opportunity that I had wasn't normal, that I should be grateful, that I we have to give back, and they always say you have to give more than you take. So that was the, the sort of theme of my childhood, was uh, being aware of all the blessings and, and great fortune in my life, despite the fact that to an outsider it might look a little um, chaotic to put it, to put it lightly. So, I mean, all in all for the, the TLDR there, uh, What's that? too long, didn't read. Oh. Uh, <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> the, the Cliff's notes version of all that is I grew up in a perfect world. Like my, I, I'm, I'm so lucky the childhood I had, the family that I still have had, I, I I look back with great fondness on pretty much every day of my life, to be honest. So I, I feel very fortunate. Can I ask you, I mean, uh, you know, as we, before we started recording, I was mentioning to you some of my own kind of physical and health ailments that continue to just show up in my life. And I find it really hard to stay positive um, and to stay 
in the space of putting one foot in front of the other, although I'm doing it, um, it, you know, it's hard to kind of shift my mind into that place of, okay, I'm going to get through this and things are going to continue on. I wonder how you were able to do that as a child. Um, and if there was like a, is that something that is just ingrained in you as a human being that you are unique in that sense? Or was it a learned uh, tactic behavior mechanism? I don't know. I think, I think it might be a, a combination of both. And I think the, the greatest credit has to go to my parents because as kids and as just human beings, we follow the example of our parents or the other major role models and influences in our lives. And I'm so lucky that my parents were my role models because they were my parents, but they were also role models to people around the world. So I knew that I knew that they, they were doing something right. And uh, the values that they had and that they instilled in me, it really just set the tone for, for my life is that you don't complain, you don't self-pity, you don't whine, you don't ask why me, you just get on with it. You stay committed to whatever you're doing, you, you stay determined, you stay loyal to the people who love you and the people that you love. Above all else, you have to hold on to hope. Hope is the elixir, the, the antidote, the magic currency that we all in my family try to traffic in as much as possible because that is if you don't have hope you have nothing and when you're when you're living with you know a father who has who 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 can't walk he can't move but what gets him out of bed in the morning what gets why like he could have just laid in his hospital bed not moving all day and you know no one would have faulted him for it he could have quit he could have given up but he didn't and not only did he not give up he fought every day to get out of that wheelchair to put pressure on the scientific and political communities to try to find a way to cure spinal cord injury and his fight still lives on through the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation which I'm on the board of and so are my brother and sister and when your father is setting the tone in that way and your mother is setting the tone in the way that she is committed to her family to keeping us together to keeping us happy to keeping us sane and normal you don't really have a choice but to be positive and see the good in everything and everyone because that's just all you know. So that was my great fortune to have my parents as my role models because I didn't know any other way other than to be hopeful and positive and determined. Wait, I lost you. That should be good. No, you were just saying about you had no other option but to be right. positive yeah. and hopeful and... <laughs> You're right. When you grow, so it's like, I, I, I would never, you asked if it was sort of a, a conscious decision that I made on my part, that's like a learned behavior, sort of. Um, there are often times where I want to be sad or be mad or not put on a happy face and not pretend like, and not pretend like everything's okay. Cause sometimes you are just sort of pretending when deep down, it really hurts, but I think, I don't know. I mean, my, my dad passed away ultimately in 2004 when I was 12. And that was obviously devastating. Uh, it was nine years after his injury. And I, for most of my life, had just known him in his wheelchair. And then he, my dad passed away. I was crushed, you know, he was my hero and he still is my hero. But, it, you know, losing your hero and losing your dad is is really close to impossible but I had my mom with me and I had everything that my dad had instilled in me both nature and nurture wise um genetically and you know just how in how he lived his daily life and then my mom got sick with lung cancer fairly shortly thereafter and she ended up dying um like 18 months after my dad passed away and so that's obviously 18 months to lose both parents when you're 12 and 13 years old is, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And I, I made it through that time because I had a great family, a great support system, great friends, the great influence of my parents on me, even though they were gone. And a little bit, I suppose, through just saying, you know what? 
life really sucks right now, but I don't have any choice but to smile, appreciate what I've had, appreciate the good fortune that I still have in my life, all these opportunities afforded to me, all the the advantages I have in my life. And it's up to me to make the most of those and to honor my parents' legacy every day and to make them proud. And I knew and I know still that what makes them proud is being the best version of myself that I can be at all times and being positive and being happy and trying to contribute positively to society. And I don't always succeed in being the best version of myself. And those make for really sucky days when you when you sort of evaluate your behavior or your thought patterns and realize you could have been better. And not only did you let yourself down or you let someone else in down, whether it's a relationship or a friendship or a professional setting. But for me, I always think in terms of what my parents would think, because that sort of has, that's inspired the code that I live my life by their value set is instilled in me, but also just making them proud on a daily basis is kind of the, the North star for me as I orient my life. And when I don't do the things that I know that I should be doing or that they would be proud of, um, I feel embarrassed and ashamed. So I try to minimize those days because I know that when I do my best, when I am my best, I am someone of whom my parents would be very proud. So that, that sort of is my motivating factor. And that's what keeps me positive and happy ultimately. I want to make two points and then I want to um, ask a question. But one is I often talk to parents um, and parenting and particularly, I suppose, within my own family structure and dynamic. I I think and I, I believe and I'm not yet a parent, but I believe that it's not about how much time you spend with your kid. It's it's how present you are with the time that you're given. And so it seems that with the time that you had with both of your parents, they were so present with you and you felt seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And that gave you, you know, that makeup to be the person that you are today. And that's so powerful. And just, I mean, I like, I feel them as you're talking about them because it's, it's, I can see both of them in you and, you know, it's, I can see why they would be proud of you um, because you, they've instilled that in you and, and you continue to, to flower, to, to water the, 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 the garden that they've planted, you know? Thank you. And the other thing too is when you mentioned hope, you know, as a, as a Russian, we're quite cynical. <laughs> so hope for us is... I like that you called it an elixir because I've never looked at it that way. I always look at it as as a a scab or a poison, really, because it 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 leads you to expectations, and inevitably, most times expectations are not met. So it's an interesting thing for me to process and think about to look at it from that angle. But I wanted to ask: I'm assuming that at the age of twelve and thirteen, as you process your grief and you also process what it means to be a young man because your body is changing your emotions are changing and you're kind of you know evaluating what it means to be on this planet what your purpose is all these things then as you transition into becoming a young adult because you've had this like immense growth so early did you find it a little bit more difficult to connect with kids your age uh, no, I mean, I've always been very lucky to have a lot of friends. And I don't know if that's a testament to my, you know, insouciant charm and my just, you know, amazing <laughs> and my hilarious jokes and all that cool stuff. Or maybe it's just because I played on a bunch of sports teams. And I went to a school where it was small and you knew everybody by the first or second day of class. So I, I mean, but in all seriousness, I, I always... Like, yes, I, 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 I how, how to phrase this? Like, this is something I've never really thought about that much, to be honest. I, um, I always have and continue to connect well with adults. Hmm. Um, and I still don't really consider myself an adult yet. I'm 25, but I feel like I keep pushing the age of like acceptable adulthood back a few years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll be 50 and be like, I guess now I might be an adult, you know, <laughs> but, um, 
but for now, I still think of myself as a kid because I have so much to learn and I have so much left to do um, before I feel like I've made it anywhere in terms of like being an adult. But I've always connected well with adults. I always feel comfortable in any room, really, I think. And that's, again, that's a testament to my parents around the dinner table every night. The one thing we weren't allowed to talk about was anything medical. We would never talk about my dad's injury or anything regarding um, his condition, but we would talk about everything else. So that would be politics, the news, uh, which at the time were not one and the same. Uh, now it's a bit of a different climate. Mm-hmm. But back then it was, uh, we talked politics, the news, entertainment, lots of sports. I got my love of sports from my dad for sure. And movies and whatever. Like we talk about a million different things and I was expected to contribute to these conversations. And so from there, I felt comfortable discussing any topic with anyone. So that always made me feel comfortable in a room full of adults. But that didn't make me the odd man out with kids at school and I don't know why like I think that I just like I'm an adaptable person and I think that that also in addition to hope uh adaptability is one of the key ingredients to life I I I truly believe that if you're adaptable and can roll with the punches so to speak you will succeed because you can go into any situation um come out okay if not thriving so I think that my adaptability Wait, I lost you. Hold on. Real life as it were. Okay. Um, I don't know why it keeps... Am I back yet? You're back. I just like, at certain points, it just kind of cuts out. Hmm. It's weird because I'm not, I'm not like moving. I don't know. So yeah, adaptability is the most important thing, I think. And I always felt very welcomed in school. I was, I don't know if I was ever the cool kid, but I wasn't the loner. Like I was absolutely popular. I had great friends. I, I was always in, I think the cool group, but I was never the, the hub of that wheel. Sometimes I felt like I was, and sometimes I felt like the odd man out. I think that I have always, and to this day dealt with a lot of insecurities that I'm sure come from my, my childhood from, from just, you know, every traumatic experience that I've had, I think like contribute to some form of insecurity. Plus I think that just the way my personality is, I'm the child of two actors and, you know, people in the, the art world are, are driven by insecurities and, and uncomfortable, uncomfortable, you know, life experiences. And I think that that just sort of trickled down to me, but it's what we do with those that really matter. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a contradiction. Like I've always felt very confident in social situations, but at the same time, I always feel pretty uncomfortable in social situations often at the same time which I don't really know how to explain. It's kind of just like, I'm not socially anxious or awkward, but I also love being alone. Uh, But I also love being the center of attention, but I also hate attention. It's really weird. And it's by the day. And I think, you know, if I were into horoscopes, I'm sure that would, the the astrology of it all would probably factor in. Um, I don't know really what is Hmm. wrong with me, if anything is even wrong with me, but. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. It just seems that you have your foot in all areas um yeah i probably do i don't know i just i uh i am i but I, as as far as getting along with kids my age i i i've always had a lot of friends and i never wanted for anything socially i never felt excluded but i think i've always felt up to present day somewhat insecure in my social world even though it rarely shows i think it's so interesting, and we'll we'll get into your career in a minute, um, because as someone who feels insecure, um, you're also on television now. Um, but <laughs> hey, just a secret: everyone who's on television has some level of insecurity. That's just well, I'm I'm also kind of like thinking of from from my side of it, um, which which the question really that I wanted to ask was <clears throat> with speaking to a lot of people who have a famous last name that either they've created themselves or that they earned through birthright, um, myself included. Is there, has there been ever any time for you as a young man or now in your career where you felt that you, you need to make a separation from the last name that you carry? Um, does it help or hinder? And does it feel at times like, hey, by the way, I'm my own person can we just talk about me? Yeah. Uh, um, I have an answer for this question. I just want to find a good internet connection because <laughs> it's kind of, uh, as, as long as you can hear me, I'll go. I just don't want you to. No, I can hear you right now. 
Okay. So I, my whole life, it was instilled, to, it was instilled in me by my parents, by my famous father and mother, that that means nothing, you know, like the fame that that's we're, we're normal people we're, we don't deserve anything more than anybody else. We don't, we're not owed anything. We're not better than anybody. And you don't name drop. You don't use your name to, um, get to ahead. Get your foot or, in the door. Or, right. So I basically my entire life have lived by the principle of, I am never going to tell you who my parents were. If you figure it out, awesome if you ask please do happy to talk about it i love talking about my parents my parents were great people who i want the world to remember for a very long time so of course i want to talk about my parents what they meant to me what they meant to you the person asking because everyone has a connection to my dad especially he was mm -hmm. superman and people have a connection to him and i i don't treat that lightly and i don't dismiss it i know that that matters to people uh, but to me he was just my dad and my mom was just my mom so I never thought of them as public figures. I never thought of them as anybody else. Often I thought of them as very annoying because they told me to go to bed and eat my, or eat my broccoli or clean my room or all that other stuff that just normal parent stuff um, that annoys the crap out of an 11-year-old kid or however old I was. I guess, let me, let me, can I just, can I place yeah. the, the question in this way? For me, same thing. My parents, you know, they're just, they're just human beings. They, they are my mom and dad. Um, but oftentimes in my career in particular and in, and being in places like Michigan where my father is more known than other places, um, you know, it, 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 I still carry that last name. So in regards to my career, I always wanted that kind of separation of mm -hmm. um, I'm my own person. That Again, this might be my own issues with my parents that maybe you don't you know that doesn't relate to you but I'm just wondering if there is a sort of separation that you want or what it seems like is that you're just extremely proud to carry that last name yeah that's that's the best way to put it I'm, I'm very proud um but I don't gloat about it and I don't try to I try not to use it to my advantage at all of course I understand that people who know who my parents were I get that they might then view or treat me differently from that point on. I can't control that. I can only control my interaction with those people. If, you know, like I, if, if you see me on ESPN where I work and you see my last name and you either know who I am, like, you know, my backstory or you Google me and you figure it out or whatever. And then you're like, Oh, that the only reason that guy is, in the position that he's in getting to do reporting for sports center or whatever is because his last name is Reeve. His dad was Superman nepotism strikes again. If you feel that way, I'm not really going to be able to change your mind. So I can't really concern myself with that. And I get the occasional comment on Twitter or whatever, like to that degree, but I'm not, you know, a, I'm not big enough on, on in my career that I get it too often. And I think people, are, are, are respectful enough at least they 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 love and honor my father enough that they're you know they don't come after me which i appreciate but like i understand that i i started on third base here like i i being the son of christopher reeve does have his advantages i just never pursue those i never call up and say hey here's who i am this is why you need to do something for me i, I would never do that that like my my father would like I, I can't even imagine if he were alive and he found out that I did something like that, it, it, it would be, it would be the end of, of or like I would be in so much trouble and same with my mom. But I do like, I understand why people might think that I've gotten to where I am or where I may be going because of who my dad was. And I understand that I started on third base, but I also, my dad was dead for eight years when I, graduated college and got my job at ESPN. The people who hired me at ESPN had never met my dad, had never gotten a phone call from my dad, had never gotten anything but me. And they never said to me, oh, this is great. You come work for us and we'll promote you as Christopher Reeve's son and we'll get some extra viewers or whatever. Like I've been hired in whatever jobs I've had I hope on my own merit or at least on my potential and my upside. And if people want to think that like 
my last name opens doors for me, that's fine. And maybe doors are open for me because of my last name, but I'm never the one requesting that those doors be opened. If you want to talk about my parents, I will talk to you for as long as you want because they are people the world needs to remember. But I'm never going to bring it up because to me, they were just my mom and dad and I'm me and I'm a different person, but I am a person who's trying to carry on their incredibly important legacy, which is why I'm never too far away from the shadow that I welcome being in. Yeah, I always say when people question in the same context is, yeah, sure, doors can be opened, but it's it takes me to walk through it, right? Yeah. And it takes can, me to, yeah. to, to play in that room once I'm in there. Yeah, you get the foot in the door, but then what do you do once you're there? Like, you got to right. get the other foot in the door on your own. And I think, like, I, you know as well as I do, like, there are advantages that you don't even ask for. Yeah. that you would never even think to ask for that you just have and you might not even realize their advantages but that doesn't make that doesn't mean that you are absolved of all responsibility to carry your weight in any situation mm-hmm. and in fact I feel more pressure and I feel more of a responsibility and an obligation to crush it and everything I do because of the fact that I know that people might find out who my parents were and assume that I got to where I am because of who they were so that motivates me like you would not believe to just crush it on my own so that they don't even have to think about that they can just be like oh this guy's really good and Mm -hmm. isn't it cool that his parents are such great people i like this guy or they might not like me but like at least they won't be like oh this guy sucks the only reason they're giving him a chance is because you know there's a famous people's club where everyone gets taken care of which if that exists i i i'm not a member um, I don't know what the application Sorry. process is like. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're a member, but uh, I guess uh, that my invitation got lost in the mail when I moved. But uh, no, no, I, I, I'm on the same page. Um, as part of my stepping into my 30s and stepping into recovery and just understanding and like, you know, I'm a, I'm a documentarian, so I, I gather things along the way. And what's one of the privileges, I suppose, or one of the upsides of having a family that's been followed in some capacity is this access to archival footage um, that I've just been like sitting and, and diving into and finding old photographs and and, and uh, newspaper clippings and videos and all that stuff of my own father and, and myself too, which is weird. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you have done a dive like that yourself and if so when does that spark for you or does it at all uh yeah i feel like i've done stuff like that intermittently over the years i mean anytime that i find myself thinking about my parents which is pretty often of course like they're never too far away from my mind but i mean that is like <laughs> that like you said the, the one of the sort of perverse benefits of having a yeah. public figure as a parent is like you can google them or p- look on youtube and, you know, there are plenty of interviews and speeches and stuff from, from both my parents. And I'll check those out sometimes just to be like, oh, this is funny and or this is cool or, you know, just to see their face, hear their voice. Like, that's always a really nice uh, moment. And then a few years ago, we had a just um, just these boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff, mostly photos and other items that we needed to not get rid of, but we needed to organize. So a good family friend of ours had hired an archivist actually um, out in San Francisco. She was digitizing like our friends' photos and like select few. And this was actually my mom's best friend who was doing this. Like, so she said, send me all your stuff, bring me all your stuff and we'll put it together. So my sister went out there with all of our photos, bless her heart. She's always the one who's just like, you know, makes the trains run on time in our family as far as, Mm -hmm. you know, getting things done. But I ended up with a USB key Mm. of about a thousand photos of like from my parents' childhoods until their convergence, meeting each other, and then the remaining years of their lives. Um, And of course, you know, my brother and sister and I factor in and it's all chronologically ordered and it's amazing. So like that was a deep dive that I didn't really do, but I reaped the benefits of and I look at those photos all the time. And then recently we rented out um, our house in Massachusetts where that my dad built, uh, it was the town where I was born. It was the town where my parents met. 
it was a town that we would go back to all the time, little tiny town in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. And it was just getting too much in terms of costs and maintain it. And none of us live near there. So we don't really, like my brother and sister and I don't live near there. So we don't really get there as often as we'd like to. So we rented it out and we needed to get all our stuff out, th- out of there this summer. So I went up there for a couple of days with them. And we did, we did a deep dive together, which was emotional and ultimately cathartic because we're going through 30 years worth of stuff for my, our dad and, and my mom, who was all very close to my, to my siblings. Like they treated her like a mother and she treated them like her kids. And going through that, just the three of us um, was an emotional thing. That was the last deep dive I've really done. I, I, it kind of tapped me out for a little while. But I've got pictures of my parents all over the place and like think about them all the time. And I can't go too far without people reminding me of who they were. Or, of course, I always get someone who wants to pinch my cheek and say, oh, you look just like your father, um, <laughs> which is, obvi- which is of course, a compliment, um, even though I think I look more like my mom. But anyway, um, so they're never far from my mind, whether I'm doing a deep dive or not. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It is wonderful to kind of have access to that and just being able to see them, you know, when you want to. Yeah. It's just like, they're right there, which is crazy, you know? And I think that that's like, I, I, I hesitate to call it a benefit because, you know, the real benefit would be having them around. Right. But the like, one of the great things about living in the era in which we do is that we have all this technology that we can utilize for good. Often, you know, technology was sort of created for good reasons. And a lot of people have taken it and turned it into uh a mostly negative thing, but uh, a lot of technology is used for good. And I think that I, I, I love being able just to have my parents sort of at my fingertips um, at all times. You mentioned earlier, and, and I've read this online too, just the connection between sports. Yeah. I'm curious, can you, beyond just a typical, I guess, family that is interested in sports, like what, what, what does, why are sports so important to you? Uh, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, my father, my, my dad and I had a a really strong bond just as father and son, but as many fathers and sons do, the bond was probably strongest around sports. My dad introduced me to sports, um, all like I played everything growing up. We particularly loved hockey and we, my dad grew up loving the New York Rangers. So I, of course, ended up loving the New York Rangers. And I still do. I'm like a nut about the Rangers. <laughs> um, in fact, I, I am, uh, fortunate enough, like to, <laughs> my parents would be so happy about this. They would just get such a kick out of it that I am on this show called the MSG hockey show, which airs in New York once a week after Rangers games. It's a riot and it's hilarious and it's the most fun and it's all about hockey. And I, I think about my dad every time I sit down, he's like, I would just think like, man, I grew up, coming to this Madison square garden with him falling in love with hockey. And like, here I am, you know, for work. And, and so anyway, to get back on track, I think that like, I love sports cause I was an active kid who just like, that's kind of what active kids end up doing. If their parents are into sports, like you play sports mm-hmm. and I played sports. That's where I made a ton of friends and like all my friends played sports. So that was kind of it. But then I think that as I grew older, I kind of realized that sports are a vessel. It's like sort of the prism through which we can see society, both the good and the bad in society. It is sports are a, a, a low stakes arena in which we can examine ourselves and our culture and our value systems. And those low stakes have recently been raised to pretty high stakes. I think the intersection of sports and politics and culture and ideology has never been more chaotic and and cross-pollinated. And I think that it's it's a a fraught time, but it's also an important time for people to realize that the good that sports can provide, the the self-examination, the cultural and societal examination that sports allows us. There's winners and losers. There's sportsmanship. There's Every possible value set that you could want to examine exists on a team in a game. 
And I think it's important that we take sports seriously because of the lessons that we can learn and the stories that we get to share and, and hear within sports. And I think that my parents recognize that too, that sports are a positive influence in, in people's lives. And they're also just really fun. That mm. like, let's not forget that life is about having fun when you can, right? And sports are a lot of fun. And I just love watching, playing, talking about sports. And it was my dream to work at ESPN ever since I realized that I was not going to make it to the NHL, which was around 11 years old. I, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, no, it was, you know, it was early. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say like 15, 16. No, something. no, no, no. It was, uh, I was just like <laughs> slow as molasses does not even begin to describe my pace out on the ice. I had good hands. Still do. I play men's league still, but anyway. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I just knew I grew up ESPN was like a third parent in, in my household. Mm-hmm. And I just like I said, I want to do that. I love sports. I love telling stories. Seems like a good combination of the two over there at ESPN. And uh, luckily that that's worked out for me so far. It's it's great that you said that sports provide lessons to learn stories. <clears throat> and, you know, I think I, I guess my question would be like, what would be your dream job in this world oh oh man you already know the answer or no no i like i i have so many dream jobs i like because ultimately and that's not a facetious answer i want to be as diverse in my portfolio which is such a buzzwordy thing to say so let me rephrase that i like i want to have my hand in as many buckets as possible um in this television broadcasting storytelling media world I certainly have heroes within the industry. Like I look up to a ton of people. I think at ESPN, my, among so many favorites, but like people I know and people that I haven't met at the company um, who I admire, but I, I love like a dream job at ESPN is what Scott Van Pelt does. He has his own sports center show that's tailored to his personality. And I just love that. And there's also Dan Lebitard who has his own radio show and his own television show. Who's just the smartest man at the company, I think. And then outside, and so like one of the, doing what they do is a dream job. But then I went to a taping of the Colbert Show a mm. few months ago, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there, and I realize, uh oh, I have a new mountaintop. This is my new dream because seeing what he does live was intoxicating, and I'm like, I need to hire a team of writers, probably about twenty of them, to make me funny, like Stephen Colbert, and this is like amazing. So like that's something I want to do. I started, I fell in love with doing TV when I interned at Good Morning America at ABC News in college. And I loved that. So there, and like, those are just a couple examples, a few examples of things that I want to do in this industry. And it's basically because I have an unquiet mind. I think about just not just sports. I'm not just like some jock adjacent dude. I Mm. like, I think about sports, but I also, I think and talk about politics and about healthcare and about entertainment and whatever else, like any, any other category of life, I suppose you could say that, that is worth thinking about and discussing. I try to think about and discuss because I'm just a curious person who wants to, to wants to learn, who wants to engage, who wants to explore. So my dream job is something that combines literally everything you could possibly think and talk about and condense it down into a palatable show. So if you and I want to come up with that, maybe off air here, uh, yeah, like, please, I, I need as many suggestions as possible because it, it is a, uh, a daunting, a daunting task to come up with something that would work to, that would satisfy all of my dreams. Well, it's interesting that you said, um, and I've, I've been reading a lot about masculinity <clears throat> that as a person who, as a man who loves sports, um, or play sports that you almost have to defend that like you're not just a jock yeah that there's more depth to you and i i just heard you do the same thing of like you know kind of saying that you're interested in, yeah. in all different things you know that the, the, that the world and life has to offer um yeah and and so i wonder in that in that world too i mean it is such it is such a boys club i at least as a woman felt that way but do you have you ever felt at any point or or do you envision ever feeling this way where your 
curiosity for the world and your hunger to learn and to experience and to be in all these different places and and you know to have like a a, a wide kit to work with um right do you ever feel that maybe some would say like all right you know just slow down calm down like let's pigeonhole you into this packaged version of who we think you should be yeah i mean i I hope that that conversation never happens. I hope that no one ever tries to put me in a box or typecast me as something within the industry. And I realize the inherent unfairness in that hap- that happens to women far more often than it happens to men, if it happens to men at all, which is just patently ridiculous and unfair. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's one of the one of the greater frustrations of being in the industry is thinking about how the scale is so historically imbalanced or unbalanced. Like it, it's it's. Everything is so tilted in favor of men. And, and fortunately, that's changing, which is great. Um, and it needs to continue to change. And I hope that I can be in a position sometime soon to be able to positively contribute to that change rather than just talk about it. But as for me, I hope no one ever puts me in a box. And if they do, I have no problem standing up to them and saying, no, this is not something I'm comfortable with because I care way more about living a fulfilling life than I do about having a quote unquote successful career because to me success is not de- is not defined by how much money you make or how many hours per day you're on television or whatever else that would that, that might drive other people in this industry for me success is about being happy as often as possible mm-hmm. I would never say being happy all the time because that's not possible mm-hmm. because life gets in the way it has a funny habit of doing that but being as happy and as fulfilled and as safe and secure in yourself and in your station in life, that's to me a success. So if someone boxes me in and I'm not happy with it, then that's not. And I also think that like I'm pretty outspoken and vocal enough with people just in my daily conversations that they realize that I'm not content with just like talking about scores of games or talking about football defenses or you know, home runs in major league baseball or whatever else. Like that stuff's interesting to me too. I love sports and I can geek out over sports all day. That's why I love working at ESPN because you're surrounded by people who want to do that. But I also want to exist in a world outside of sports and outside Mm -hmm. of one thing. Like if I were, if I were, if I were, if you were talking to me right now and I were doing news, I would be telling you, well, hey, you know, I'd love to talk about sports too because I love sports so much. And I want to talk about entertainment because I love movies and music and Celebrity culture is fascinating if it's sometimes revolting (laughs) and like that. I want all of it. So no one, wherever I go, no one's going to be able to put me in a box because they'll see me uh, trying to tip over that box pretty quickly. So coming to the end, so I'll I'll ask a series of questions that I ask everybody, but I want to take a stab at this and maybe you can, um, I'm curious because I ask women this question about like, how do you define or what, how, what would be the definition of a modern female? So like, what, what would be your definition of a, a modern male in today's society? Mm. Um, I think a modern male is one who is thoughtful, who engages with the world around him, who defines himself not by what he has or what he's accomplished, but the manner in which he has accomplished those things. And those things don't have to be notches on a proverbial belt in terms of job promotions or nice apartments or fancy cars or great clothes. Like things can be relationships. They can be meaningful moments in one's life and and, and how you live your life, how you move through that life that you're engaged in, I think defines you as a modern male. I think it's someone who's considerate of others, who is tolerant. I think that being tolerant and accepting of other people is the most important thing, especially in 2017, that you can do to be a forward-thinking and forward-looking human being, male mm-hmm. or female. Mm-hmm. I think there's a whole lot more that I need to keep considering because it's an important question. And I think that like, I probably like to think of myself as a modern male, but maybe sometimes I'm not. And maybe, maybe uh, I don't know. But I, I definitely... I think a, a, mo- a modern man has layers, there's context and texture to his life, and it's not about acquiring stuff, it's about 
how you engage with the world around you and the people in your life and leaving a positive impact, positive impact on the world. Giving back is hugely important. I'm thinking about town and country naming you the top 50 most eligible bachelors. They should have added that in there. <laughs> I, like, I was so taken aback by that, by the way. I have no idea. Like, they clearly didn't get in touch with me because they put me down as William Reeve, which is my birth name but no one calls me William the only person who ever called me William was my mom when I was in trouble <laughs> so everyone calls me Will so the fact that they put me in that magazine as William was like oh they clearly you know I don't know how I but I have no idea how I made that in, in that list and I, I saw no uh, no uptick in my bachelorhood <laughs> from there like there was no no one ever checked in with me like oh hey you're the guy from the magazine want to go on a date I never got any of that so I was flattered any I was flattered anyway though. Yeah, I was gonna ask, how is your dating life after that? So not so great. No, I mean I I I'm fortunate enough to, you know, I'm I, it's it's all good. I don't know. We don't okay. have to get into my dating we life, won't. but like we won't. <laughs> it's uh I, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, know plenty of people in uh in New York City that I get to have a good time with, whether it's friends or dates or whatever. So Okay. Last few. So the platform stands on two hashtags. One is um, speak your truth. So speak your truth is something that you believe in, that maybe defines you, that is your mantra, motto. What would be a truth that you could speak? A truth that I could speak is I have to attribute this quote to my father, but it's something that I live by. It's what I try to see in myself and also try to see in other people. And it is, I believe, in the best possibilities of human beings. Hmm. Um, I believe, the, and that, that's, I mean, that's it boiled down. I think you can interpret what you want from that. But to, if you want me to elaborate on it, it uh, I believe in the best possibilities of myself. I try, I, I believe in myself and I believe that I am on this earth to do hopefully great things. And I'm going to give it my all every day to try to advance that goal to achieve those dreams that I have as, you know, professionally, personally, emotionally, spiritually, like it's all one package. And I also see the good in other people because I do believe that people are inherently good. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is why I try to be as tolerant and open-minded. And it's hard to be in 2017. It's hard to see people who have such different views from you, views that, you know, are not, anything that you've ever been familiar with that you don't know how to deal with, but you, they, they come from somewhere for those people and those people have their reasons and you have to sort, you have to listen to them as hard as it may be. And as much as you may disagree with them and as much as it might make your blood boil, you have to be open-minded and you have to believe in the best possibilities of human beings. You have to believe that everything is going to ultimately shake out in the, in the right way and, and everything will trend in the right direction. And, Maybe that's not true, you know? Maybe we're all screwed, but I choose to believe in the best possibilities of human beings. That's my truth. The biggest lesson there is listening. I always <clears throat> talk about the art of listening, how important that is. Flaws, champion flaws. What are some flaws that you have that oh, you're aware man. of? Oh, man, we're going to need another hour. Um, <laughs> I, oof, I actually, I did this exercise. I was going through a, a, just like, not a rough time, but I was just like sort of feeling down on myself about a year and a half ago. But just wasn't feeling fulfilled professionally or personally, really, at, at the same time, which is always a, you know, tough, tough, co tough combo to deal with. We're all better now, but it, part what of what made that better was this exercise I did, where I just wrote down all the things I didn't like about myself and just tried to work mm -hmm. on them, and to try to recall that list because I don't have it in front of me. It's not framed and it's not on my wall mm -hmm. because that'd be kind of strange if you had company over and they're like, "What are all these like characteristics that the head are like things, things I hate about myself." Oh man, I have a tendency to be self-centered. I have a tendency to get jealous. I am not always a great listener. I am not particularly athletic. I don't know if that's a flaw, but it's something I wish I were better at. I am often, actually, you know, I was going to say I'm off, I'm insecure, but that's not a flaw. That's just a thing. Like people are insecure. So mm -hmm. that's not a flaw. Being insecure is just part of life. Being so human. being human. Yeah. So that's, that's not a flaw, but I am uh, often far too worried about what other people think. I am often, I, I'm a people pleaser and I try to please everyone, which can leave me ben. at the back of the line or spent. I, you know, I've, I've, there have been times in my life where I could have been more loyal and more accountable in a whole variety of ways. 
I think that I, you know, I think this probably, this flaw comes up in my mind on Sunday mornings more often than not. And I'm like, oh, I probably drank a little too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not, and, and it's not, I mean, it happens. That's nothing to joke about, but you know, that's uh, it's a, a lot of mistakes made when you, you know, have one extra drink at the bar, mm-hmm. um, which you want to fix. And I think that, uh, I mean, God, there, there's so many that I'm not, I'm not even like self-editing right now. I'm just like kind of going through the list of like, well, what's, what, what is, there's a lot about me. Yeah, I'll put it this way. There's a lot about me that I would change if I could, but I know that I can't and I'll never be able to. So I can just do my very best to accept those flaws in myself, to minimize them in terms of how they affect other people hmm. and try to just be the best that I can be on a daily basis and know that I'm going to fail pretty often. And the most important thing is how to bounce back from those personal failures as quickly as possible. If I can do that, I think I'm headed in the right direction because there definitely are a mountain of flaws and I only got into a few of them right there that I need to contend with on a daily basis. It's part of being human. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the lesson that took you the longest to learn? Hmm. Um, wow. Okay. Let me, lesson that took me the longest to learn. People are not as concerned with your daily life as you think they are. In fact, they don't really care at all. Yes. I am still learning that lesson, but that is one that like really took a long time to even consider, like for me to even consider as being true because I live most of my life, as I mentioned, a a major flaw of mine is I have a pretty big ego and I am fairly self-centered. As a result of that, you know, edging on narcissistic behavior, it can definitely like anything I do, whether it's a mistake or something great, I think everyone is just buzzing about it forever. (laughs) So there'll be times where I'll walk into a room full of people feeling really glum about something that I did or like something that went wrong in a relationship or like even if my breath smells bad or whatever, walk in and think that every single person in the room is thinking or talking about that thing that involves me only. <laughs> they are. See that that does that reinforces the that's gonna take me a longer Sorry. time. To, that's gonna be a longer time to learn the lesson. Yeah. But like I, I do often think like people care a lot more about what's going on in my daily life than they really do. And that's something yeah. that like it's important to realize like, yo, it's not that big of a deal. You're not that big of a deal. Try to do better next time. That's sort of the the three step process. In, in learning that lesson. Yes, it's tough with um, social media, especially. Right. What do you think your 12, 13-year-old self would say and think about you now? I think 12 or 13-year-old me would say, hey, you turned out okay. You're not perfect by any means. You're probably less perfect now than you were then, but you're still someone I can look up to most of the time. But try to work, try to work on making it all the time. I think that would be it. But I think, you know, I still feel in so many ways like the 12 or 13 year old me. Hmm. Um, because it's like, yeah, it's like, it'll be what it's, it'll be 13 years ago next month, like 10, uh, like 14 days from now, October 10th however many days that is, uh, it'll be, it'll be 13 years ago in October that my dad died. And that feels really long. Like the number 13, I will officially have lived longer without him than with him. But each day of my life since then has felt connected to one another. It's just another link in an increasingly long chain. And I still remember moments and thoughts and circumstances from that time of my life, like they still feel very real and accessible to me now. So I still feel in so many ways like that 12 and 13 year old kid. I'm still waiting for my rebellious phase to come through. I'm still waiting for all those hormonal moments that I was told that preteens and teens have because I never had them because I didn't have the chance to have them because I was just trying to survive day by day. And if I needed to be surrounded by love and support and care and security and safety, I didn't have the luxury of getting to be a brat because that could drive people away. That was my mentality at least. And 
so I still feel like that kid too, like mm-hmm. trying to survive and trying to just make every day as great as it possibly can be in the face of tough circumstances. And I'm so lucky that I have had the, the great fortunes in my life and the, the family that I have, the friends that I have, the mentors, colleagues, all these people in my life to keep me pushing forward and keep me happy and keep me fulfilled and keep me motivated and driven. And I think 12 year old and 13 year old me would see that and say, man, we've been through a lot, but looks like we're coming out of this. Okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. Try to do it a little better tomorrow. Hmm. What a great full circle moment there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And last question is, I always ask at the end to fill in this blank. Alianka, you really should be asking this. What do you feel I should be asking? Hmm. This is a good tact. I should incorporate this question into my interviews. I take do it, take it, take it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you kind of covered, like, I'm not saying this to cop out. Like, you kind of covered everything. Like, very incisive questions because your questions that we call them hardworking questions like you you know you start one thing and that gave me eight different thoughts that's why i rambled on so often but um you really should be asking i think a lot about what drives people because you'll often be surprised about what drives people some people are driven by a lack in their life some people are driven by an abundance in their life that they want more of some people are driven because they're just grinders and hustlers. And I admire those people a lot because I've, I'm trying to teach myself to be a grinder and a hustler, but oftentimes I just want to chill. I think that if you explore what factors drive people, then you'll be able to drill down on your follow-up questions on, uh, on, on why that is. You start mm-hmm. with what and finish with why. That, I mean, that'd be my, that would be we- my guess. No, no, that's a good one. And I would ask you that, but I, I feel like we figured out your motives and why you're driven at the beginning of this conversation. Yeah, it's what drives me is like, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. Is that I, every, pretty much everything I do in some way ties back to me wanting to make my parents proud and uphold their legacy. Mm-hmm. And that also is why I'm very hard on myself in terms of not giving myself much slack when I do mess up when I don't live up to the standards that I know they would be holding me to. Um, But at the same time, I'm also forgiving of myself knowing I'm 25. I don't have it all figured out. I'm going to screw up with friends in relationships at work in writing checks, like whatever, you know, like like I don't have anything figured out. I said earlier, I don't feel like an adult. I feel like I'm on my way to being an adult, but right now I'm sort of pretending to be an adult doing all the adult type stuff that one does at this age, but it's sort of an adult approximation. But everything I do, I do because I want to make my parents proud. But that's also not, I also do it for me, you know, but that's what would make my parents proud. So it's all interconnected in a weird way. I don't wake up every morning going, how am I going to make my mom and dad smile down on me from heaven? But I do take inventory and say, is this something that is befitting of the legacy that I want to leave that my parents entrusted to me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you so much for this. It was really an emotional ride for me. I don't show emotion, so you wouldn't have seen that, but <laughs> it was. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm happy to help. Yeah, no, but I learned, I learned so much. And the biggest thing that I talk about is nudging people, right? Like we can't change people, circumstances, anything around us, but we can certainly nudge. Right. Um, and I, I felt nudged through this. It opened my eyes to thinking and, and, and feeling in a different way. I'm just going to have to figure out how to apply it to my life. Um, <laughs> but I really appreciate you taking the time and um, being so candid and open and sharing with all of us your many many flaws <laughs> of course no there are there are even more that i you know i i forgot to list but i should i actually should dig up that list somewhere because it's like it was a legal pad it was two <laughs> two columns worth of things that i wanted to change about myself and then i kind of realized no i'm not gonna be able to change all this so why don't i just acknowledge it like they say when you do like when you're at yoga right and you're mm-hmm. like med- meditating or whatever they're like, if a thought, if an errant thought comes in, if a, you know, if a cramp or an itch like appears, like make a note of it, 
and then recenter or whatever. So that's what I mm-hmm. sort of tried to do. It was a meditation on myself. Um, and it, it proved to be good. I think that I've changed for the better in the last year and a half. I think that other people would probably say that, which is important. Not what they say, but the fact that like it had an effect in my life. It's not just an inner thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm pressing stop. So we- All right, so if you want more on Will Reeve, make sure to connect with him on social media. On Twitter, he's at Reeve Will, R-E-E-V-E-W-I-L-L. And on Instagram, he's at Will Reeve underscore. Same spelling, you get it. You can watch him on ESPN. And if you're in the New York area, you can watch him on his MSG show. And of course, you can log on to the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation website, which is www.christopherreeve.org. If you want a cheat sheet and to learn more about the takeaways from this particular podcast, log on to the Untitled Female website, which is the untitledfemaleproject.com. Go over to Tell Your Story Podcast, find Will, click that, and you'll have all the information that you need, especially some photos in there as well, in case any of you young women are wondering about him being the 50 most eligible bachelors in America. And of course, if you like what you heard, please, please, please share this conversation. You can either screen grab it and post it to your Instagram story. Make sure to tag us or post it on Facebook, Twitter. We'll definitely retweet. Please go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast and just share, share because I'm not a marketing guru. You know this by now. So the more exposure we get, the better. I think these conversations are so important. If you have any questions, concerns, suggestions, feel free to email me, uf at the untitledfemaleproject.com and I'm always tweetable, Instagrammable all those lovely things I'll see you next week guys, thanks for listening